Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Show. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Operate, our new tech startup investment company building platform based here in Southern California. We've got a number of amazing founders already in the studio family here. And so if you're looking for help with your startup, you're looking for opportunities to work with the next generation of high growth companies, or you want to be part of this startup community, you can go to operatestudio.com to learn more. I'm super excited to have my new friend, Luke Cooper, with me on the show today. And before we get to hear from Luke, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the co-founder, I'm sorry, the founder and CEO of Fixed which is an innovative mobile device support and repair business that he started several years ago and sold very successfully earlier this year. And so over the last seven years, he's been through this great entrepreneurial journey, which we're gonna spend some time talking about today. And you know, as I really dug into his background, he has a really incredible pedigree and background to prepare him for this journey. And so I want to talk somewhat about that on the show today as well. Like how does the operator get built? Um, He had been a lawyer at one of the biggest and most prominent law firms in the world called DLA Piper. Uh, He was in-house counsel at a large financial services firm. And he even was strategy lead and kind of the, you know, critical part of another startup team that grew and successfully exited. So a really nice mix of backgrounds, which we we want to explore. Uh, Luke, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm always uh, excited to tell the story and meet great founders and CEOs and people interested in entrepreneurship. So thank you. Well, I, I talk about, this is a great jumping off point. I talk a lot about how important storytelling is to the successful company, successful entrepreneur. So, you know, I gave a brief introduction to Fixed. Let's talk about the founding story. How did, how did you come to start this? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so funny that the comment you just made is, is so reflective of my general philosophy around, you know, building healthy culture in a startup company, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because cult, culture is really the stories that you tell, mm-hmm. right? It's all these little stories that make up the truth behind, you know, what you actually deliver on to your employees, to your customers, and to your investors. So, so when we started out in 2013, you know, we had all the culture issues figured out. <laughs> no, no, not even close, right? Um, and you know, often company, it doesn't happen. I mean, I find sometimes that, that core culture, it takes a little bit of time to get, uh, take hold. Anyway, you're trying very, to survive, you're trying to figure it out and survive in those first, you know, early days. Exactly, exactly. And you really need, like, what was successful for us is that we shared office space with a, a couple other companies that were way more mature and they operated in a different environment. They were non-tech companies, more traditional classical businesses that had some kind of culture already that we could mm-hmm. sort of draft off of. And that was helpful, right? So mm-hmm. for, for founders, I always, you know, I tell them to get into situations where they're going to be around, around other people because, mm-hmm. you know, it'll produce, you know, that, you know, that kind of proximity will produce good ideas and sure. other thinking and resources, right? Yep. But um, when we started in 2013, the world was very different. Um, and the idea was that we could, we could resolve and fix the, the, the claims process with an insurance mm-hmm. because it was fundamentally mm-hmm. broken. Um, I'd seen this problem sort of repeating itself within um, my time at, 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 uh, at State Farm. 
I was an in-house counsel mm -hmm. and I just saw like how consumers are getting just a bad experience mm. whenever they broke things or whenever things, you know, failed that sure. they were covered by insurances. And so in 2013, just, you know, so thinking about the problem, trying to find a founder, a co-founder, um, you know, you need somebody technical that understands insurance, and all this other stuff, really hard to do. Um, and really lost, quite frankly, in the first, first year. Now, now the TLDR to the whole story, right, is that, you know, by 2014, we figured it out, you know, by 2015, 16, we began growing revenue 400% year over year. Mm. We grew the team from two people to 25 people, incredibly diverse, you know, 50% of the team, African-American, Latino, you know, you know, five black men on the team. Like that's not amazing. even a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and most amazing. of them, and most technology mm -hmm. companies in America, right? That's right. Um, but it, you know, those are those are the TLDRs, and we sold the company for eleven times revenue after growing it, you know, many many hundreds of a percent year over year. All right, that's a TLDR. But the reality is, it took us time to really figure out these pieces and these steps. And you know, I I try to encourage entrepreneurs to to think big but act small, yes. right? Because that is that is your gateway and that's your real power. Mm -hmm. Because big companies they think big too. They that's absolutely right. think big. Yes. And they've seen big things happening, right? Um, but they tend to act big too, that's right? right? That's and right. Acting big that's your advantage, right? Yeah. That's our, That's your advantage. Your advantage is that's acting right. small, and and finding little discoveries that then lead to the bigger things. Yes. And the discovery that we um, specifically found in 2014, I found it, um, came on a bus, right? I was, I was mm -hmm. fortunate as I'm floundering around with this, you know, this idea for how to improve insurance. Like I didn't really even, I had a web platform, but like nothing more than that. And uh, I, I'm on a bus in Boulder. We, I was lucky to get into this program called Techstars, mm -hmm. um, number one accelerator for startup companies. And um, I was spending time in Boulder, I was in Colorado, and you know week four or five of the program something like that you know it's a 12-week program and I, I i don't have the idea right like they're telling me like luke this sucks like what you're talking about is great <laughs> in terms of like the market the industry but like you don't have a real solid idea yet right and so i'm just lost i'm like six seven weeks away from demo day like what are we going to do and I, i'm sitting on a bus and i dropped my phone accidentally on the bus and everyone around me had the exact same experience and i, I instantly started to talk to them and, and what they were nervous about, what they were, you know, what they had expressed anxiety over was, was their experience at the Apple store, was their experience with their insurance company, the, the, the mobile carrier, it, it, all of those cast of characters, mm -hmm. you know, none of them cared about the experience that was driven by, you know, that they were expecting to get. And so I instantly began to think, well, what if I could change that? Like, what if, so I asked them straight up, I said, well, how much would you pay if I, you know, uh, when I broke my phone, someone gave me a new one or uh, met me and repaired it. Like right, right when I got off the bus, mm -hmm. they're like, whoa, that would blow my mind. I was like, okay, now, now I have a sense of what I should like aim toward. And that like led to a bunch of tiny experiments where we would, you know, our first couple of builds were a very simple app that I could go uh, to CU Boulder, you know, um, downtown Pearl Street Mall, wherever mm -hmm. in, in Colorado, and just like give people my phone and say, hey, what is this? How does, what do you think it is? How does it work? And it, it took, you know, multiple weeks before we got to a place where I can just give my phone to the person blindly and say, what is this? And they would say, oh, this is some kind of insurance app to get your phone repaired or replaced or whatever. And that's when we knew, okay, we, we, got, we got the right general product. Mm -hmm. We need to start thinking about the markets that we're gonna be involved in, um, et cetera. And that's, that's where we, you know, sort of began to raise money um, and grow the company from there. 
but um, yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, in the outer years, we, we you know, well, once we figured it out, we, we, and we didn't start like with all of that stuff figured out. We started sure. with the product figured out, but the market not figured out. Mm -hmm. And we initially went after consumers. Sure. And what we learned in the very earliest stages was like, we were not, you know, well, uh, um, you know, well structured to go after consumers. And I, and I, I think what I try to advise the founders that I coach and the teams that I work with um, to think about like their geography, um, both universally and also like, you know, locally, mm. right? No, you universally think about it because your geography shouldn't like limit you from right. expanding an idea internationally right away, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you got to think as a founder, how do, I, how do I go attack international markets immediately, right? Um, that's the, you know, the world's smaller place. But, but that being said, you've got to think about where you are locally as well. And if you are a consumer application try, trying to operate out of DC, you're not going to find investors, right? Mm. You know, investors on the West, on the East Coast, in this region of the country are more spreadsheet investors. They want to see your traction. They want to mm -hmm. see revenue. What's your plan to profitability? Like yeah. profitability yeah. is a big like, part of the that? Yeah, yeah right, right. Whereas on the West Coast, it's very different, right? And so I think, you know, minding where you are originating the idea mm -hmm. truly matters, right? Because mm -hmm. it will tell you what kind of company you can build or what kind of resources and talent you have access to, sure. right? A lot of cybersecurity talent here in Maryland. So you know, we, we were able to, to think about that very sort of pragmatically. And by, by 2014, after we raised a little bit of money, um, we raised roughly after Techstars, we raised roughly half a million dollars back of the napkin idea um, in our seed, seed stage. Um, we had to pivot because we looked around and like we would need to raise $50 million to go do that. And that wasn't going to be possible um, from Baltimore. And so we, we um, looked at the enterprise market. And when we looked at the enterprise market, there was um, roughly 20 billion, 18 to 20 billion dollars of activity happening uh, of people repairing phones, replacing devices, mm -hmm. you know, um, entering ticket, tickets for broken things. All this activity happening in the enterprise market, complete white space. There's nobody there, right? No one's offering any on-demand services. No one's offering, you know, this, this, this highly integrated customer experience that, you know, could show you all your devices in one, you know, one mm -hmm. view, one pane of glass. You know, no one was thinking about these things, tracking, live tracking. So you knew when your, your technician was going to, you know, come on site, um, you know, uh, uh, lots of like little tiny things that we just were thinking about at, at a time when no one else was in the enterprise space. And we were able to, you know, again, we, we thought like we could have the whole enterprise space, mm -hmm. 18 to 20 billion, but we acted small. The first thing we did was go talk to some, some early customers like local, like Johns Hopkins, for example, um, which, you know, got us in the habit of talking to CIOs and talking their language and how they speak, how they buy, mm -hmm. right? All those things were things mm -hmm. that we were learning. Um, Coca-Cola, you know, a very innovative, forward-thinking company, um, took a chance on us very early on. Mm -hmm. And through the, the selling process, through the sales process with them, we uncovered, you know, um, differentials between what they said the problem was and what the problem actually was, which mm -hmm. gave us more insight because they would tell us, you know, we think the problem is this and like our people have this issue, et cetera. But then we watched them logging things into their ticketing systems, et cetera. And that wasn't the problem. It was mm -hmm. something else. And so we just took those learnings and we were able to bake them into our platform in a way that, you know, had more, you know, broader appeal to the entire enterprise segment. 
Um, and that is what led to a lot of our success and eventually, you know, the, the exit this um, um, earlier in um, uh, Q3 by Assurance. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're really proud of, you know, the progress that we made mm -hmm. and where we got to, but it, you know, <laughs> I'm leaving, I'm leaving out, you know, sure. for time's sake, That's right. you know, uh, all the, all the, you know, bad investor stories, the, uh, you know, my, you know, I think I've told you, you know, starting the company out a month after starting it, my, our, our daughter, you know, was struck with stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, we went through a year of chemotherapy radiation mm -hmm. while I'm raising the, mm -hmm. the, the seed round. Um, and we got through that. She's 100% cancer-free today, mm -hmm. and uh, and the company uh, is successful and yeah. part of a large, you know, Fortune 300 organization. So amazing. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So my my message to entrepreneurs is both, you know, hey, <laughs> be practical-minded when it comes mm -hmm. to you know thinking big but acting small, and resilience. Um, those are two things that I think you you absolutely need. That's right. Oh, totally, totally. So so much here to dig into. This is good. Thank you for, for starting there. Okay. So you talked about, uh, you know, you originally, Hey, we're going to go consumer market. And then you, you, you know, both with the realization, maybe, Hey, this is going to be way too expensive. Um, we may not have the chops uh, or the experience to do it. You go, let's go a little deep. Like what, were there any data, you know, any experiments that you ran or were there any, you know, any data that was just so glaring to you? Because sometimes we ignore that, right? We, we, we totally. get headstrong and we say like, I know this is a consumer problem. I need to go get to them. I need to own the customer or whatever, or, you know, narrative that's out there. Like what, what was it that really got you to say, okay, yeah, uh, we, we have so, to go do this differently. Yeah, so so I'll I'll start from the mindset perspective first, right? Like I, I there's a, the, a a book I read recently and had a quote from about Steve Jobs. It talked about him being um, you know, having strong beliefs like loosely held, yes. right? I think it's a probably a, um, a a comment lots of us have heard, and I think that's a very important mindset for founders, right? I don't I, I admire Steve Jobs, but not in the same way that I think I don't deify the guy because I don't think he was a great leader. Mm -hmm. I think you know um, he had a really great team that put up with a lot of great, you know, mm -hmm. ideas that he had that they brought to fruition. But I, I think the best leaders, they, they are strong in their convictions and intuitions, which are, you know, usually founded on data and some other intuitions that they have market insight. Right? And you need that as a founder. You should mm -hmm. not divorce yourself of that. That's mm -hmm. your, that's your power, right? It's a mm -hmm. superpower. That's right. But at the same time, you've got to loosely, you know, uh, you hold on to those, those, those constructs, right? Because, your go your goal, your job is to get to the fucking. Oh, can I curse on this? Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, your job is to get to the moon, right? That's right. Like, what do you what do you care how you get there? That's right. Right. Like you 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 kind of care, but you really don't care how you get there. So for us, um, I knew we wanted to get to the moon, and that was the goal. Whether we got mm -hmm. there through consumers or we got there through enterprise, the goal is to get to the moon. What told us that not consumers was that you had $12.5 billion of activity in the consumer market. Mm -hmm. You got $25 billion unmet, unserviced in the, in, the, in the enterprise space. You've got the carriers moving away from subsidies. So 2014, the carrier said, they, you know, Verizon, AT&T mm -hmm. said, we're no longer giving you $99 upgrades for free or sure. free upgrades. We're doing away with that. That's a fundamental market yeah. change, right? So when Huge. I talk to founders, I said, well, why, who gave you permission to come up with this idea and promote it, you know, in this market, right? Like you got to get permission based on some underlying market structure or, or data that, you know, sort of transforms the market 
that allows your solution, your thing to propagate differently than everything else, right? Um, And there are lots of examples of this throughout history. You know, Webvan, for example, they Mm -hmm. raised $600 million. Most people are not going to even know what Webvan is, but in 2000, $600 million in a startup is an incredible amount of money. And all they did was, it was Amazon Prime. That's all Mm -hmm. it was, right? That's right. But why couldn't that, like, you know, get out there? It was because... Mm -hmm. There's no vehicle, there's no mobile platform that sure. in 2000, nothing like that, right? So like, these are the ways I, I try to encourage them to think about. And the, you know, the data that we saw that supported the decision was the number of Apple stores out there, right? Like when I, at the time in the 2014, I think there might've been 260 Apple stores. Like okay. Today there might be 400 or th- you know, three mm-hmm. something. Like, but there are 50,000 Genius Bar appointments, mm-hmm. 50,000 Genius Bar appointments, right? So if, if I just took that number and I said, okay, 50,000 consumers are, are locking complaints, you know, related to their Apple phones every day. How many are across the enterprise globally? At least That's twice right. that. So a hundred, and where are they going? That's They're right. not sending their people to the Apple store. They can't, mm-hmm. right? So there's more unmet demand. Okay. And then like, so that, so that, those are the quantifiable measures that told us there, there's something here, right? Mm-hmm. But the homework part of it is to begin talking to people and doing like intense discovery to, to figure those things out. That's great. So let's go uh, even a little bit into that. So how, how did you learn to do that homework? What, what was it in your background? I talked about some of your experiences prior. Um, what, what was it? Because I, I think for many, it, it, it's, it's learned by doing, and it's often yeah. the mistakes you made, but um, yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit it on your first one. So you know, what, what was it that gave you the that training for the for to be able to do the homework for, to be able to balance this kind of yeah. vision with uh you know pragmatism i, I think honestly like it, it, it my source you know really derives you know from one one place from one place uh carrie and it, it's it, it's a place of courage right I, mm-hmm. and i think as an entrepreneur like that one of the key distinctions i see between like the truly great entrepreneurs that figure it out, like, or, or are on their way to figuring it out. And the ones that just have an idea that once it you know, falters, they're just gone. Yep. It's courage, right? The ability yeah. to like fight through those things, um, ask the really tough questions, not only of customers, but of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And my, my courage comes from, you know, watching my mom, you know, early on, like one of the stories I tell are, you know, really related to like the three sort of things that like made up Luke Cooper as a 12 year old mm-hmm. boy. Um, the three things that happened to me as a 12 year old that sort of inspired the, the narrative arc for my life. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing was my dad went away to jail for 20 years, right? I got every mm-hmm. excuse in the world to go hide. Mm-hmm. I have every excuse in the world to quit life, to go sell drugs. If I would have been a drug dealer, like everybody will understand that, right? Mm-hmm. I, my cousins are all locked up there in jail. Like, and we, I understand, right? And like that would have been acceptable. But like for me, I, I want more. I think everybody wants more for Absolutely. their life. You just don't know how to access it, right? right. My mom taught me how to access it because Mm. the second thing that happened to me was um, we went up on this, she got us, you know, into this like airfield where they took us up on a a Cessna plane, my sister and I, Mm. um, for like a day trip. And we just went around parts of New York and Connecticut. And it was the first time I'd I'd seen the world from that perspective, Mm -hmm. right? First time I'd ever flown, I was 12. You know, and it's amazing. My kids have flown, you know, they have passports. They've been to Tokyo sure. all over yeah. the world at this, at this place. And just a very different life than the one mm-hmm. I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my mom, but what I later learned, um, Carrie, was that my mom, the week before that, 
um, she, she'd gone over to the airfield and just asked one of the pilots. She just said, hey, you know, we're poor. We, we, grew, we're, we're, we live in the, in, the, in the project housing down the street here. Um, can, you, can you help us? Can you, you know, I wanted to, my kids to see the world. To and the guy was just like, well, if you come here next week at five in the morning, you know, they do these little runs and you can get up there. No problem. And we're off five in the morning doing this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time I'd see my project, my project housing from that distance. Right. So it gave mm -hmm. me distance from a painful past that wasn't connected to my identity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about like my, you know, what it takes to go up to somebody and ask them like, why did you react that way when I dropped my phone? Why mm -hmm. did you act that way? You know, when, when you logged the ticket this way, but you said the problem was this. Right. Like it just all stems from the courage to go do that. And guess what? As a black entrepreneur, like one of the hardest things about, you know, what's happening in this country today, I'll just say two seconds about this, is that it, it's not, it, how this is how it permeates entrepreneurship for black entrepreneurs. Right. Like we think about, you know, racism, systemic racism um, in the context of policing and like mm -hmm. these big institutional things like that. But like we don't tend to think about it in like the 17 billion dollar, 20 billion dollar venture capital um, you know, uh, um, in, industry, right? And, mm -hmm. and those problems absolutely pervade. And yes. so not only does it affect you in terms of fundraising, but it affects you in terms of how you uh, are received if you're a black entrepreneur like me walking up to some mm -hmm. random person in the street, asking them about an idea. Because in my mind, that is the best way absolutely. to get market early, yes. quick market signal, right? But I scare people. I'm a six foot black man, mm. you, know, uh, you know, walking up to you. And so like, those are real things but again, whether you're a white dude and you've never really talked to people, you're a white woman and you know, you're afraid that you might be rejected or you're a black man and like you're afraid of racism, it takes courage to yes. get over those things and walk through them. And that's, that's, and that's only, the only you know, reason I'm, I'm sitting here today and, and having answered some of those questions you know, that were necessary to, to ask to get to a, you know, the exit that we just did. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So at what point did you really understand that courage from your mother to do that? Because that's, I mean, to me, that's so formative. And I, I mean, and you bring up the, the right point too of like, I look at my kids and all the, the blessings and uh, really easy life that they've been handed. And I feel like my job ends up being, I have to inspire them to, go think bigger, be bigger. Don't, don't just rest on this, like build upon this, That's go, right. go do more That's because right. of it. And, um, you know, they need to demonstrate courageousness at whatever level they can. But I mean, that story from about your mom's amazing because yeah, it, the, yeah. It, the, as you. you said, the courage, but, but that models it hopefully. But when did you find out? Like, when did you really understand and appreciate that? Yeah. Yeah, such a such a great question. So I I didn't really appreciate that. Like when I was mm -hmm. when I was younger, you know, um, you know, going around telling the story, talking to kids to inspire them or whatever. I just told the story about you know the airplane and um, you know I, I participated also as a twelve year old in this program called NIFTY National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. and I built solar powered microwaves, and that's what won me my science competition and my business mm -hmm. plan competition. So at 12, think about that as a 12 year old boy. That's amazing. Yeah. Your, your father goes away to jail for 20 years. I, my mom takes us up on this plane. And then I do this program where I'm, I, I build things. And I'm like, holy shit. I, I won. I made yeah. money. Like, hey, and I can, the world I can is, do the world this. Is big. I can, absolutely. Right. 
And so I, I think it, it comes down to like when, when you think about like how to like systematize, you know, the, the process of, of, you know, courage enhancement <laughs> or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. You know, it, it comes from like, you know, these small moments, right? Like yes. even with my, my children, you know, I put them in these small moments where, hey, you've got to like really help. You got to really figure it out for yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's a, an argument or a disagreement with their sibling, whether it's a, a, an issue with an adult at school where, you know, my son might like one of the coaches or something going sure. on. Well, how do you, how are you going to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Well, have you talked to him about it yet? Right. Usually, you know, we skip over like the most basic form of dispute resolution of sure. confidence building, which is, Hey, have you gone to the person directly and just had a conversation? Right. right. I think these little things are ways that you build confidence, courage, and, and kids mm-hmm. and adults. Right? Right. Right. You know, I watch it every day in a big company where people don't really have the hard conversations because sometimes they're afraid. Right. Yeah, so you're absolutely it's right. A hard, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to figure out. It is. It is. But it, but it can be broken with courage. Yeah, it, but there are those moments that I think that's that's the key, right? I uh, I love, for example, um, I love interns, and yeah, I love the, I love it in startups especially because sort of two or three reasons. But I would say that you know a couple quick ones are number one, you're giving them access to something that they don't even fully understand and appreciate until later. And you know that because, you know, going into a big company that you, you, and, and experiencing sort of being an intern, you're sort of just another cog in this wheel. You go into a startup and you, even if you're doing menial type things in there, there, it's so flat, there's so much access, you just get to absorb it. And then you prove anything and you just get handed work, right? And, and all of a sudden you're going, wait, like they're, they're not that far away from me. I can, I can be that. Right. And so I think it just naturally Absolutely. breeds it. And I love it. Like when I see that person get unlocked like that, it's just, it just brings so much joy to me. So I, I love um, that and, and finding, finding that out. And then even working with entrepreneurs, which I know you do as well. And somehow mirroring back to them, that confidence of you've got this. And you know that that they can see it too. I was I was talking to somebody recently, and they were saying they encourage their they're in Europe, and they encourage their entrepreneurs to go to Silicon Valley and spend time there. And the reason they do it is not that that's some great shining uh, example of of brilliance in the world. They're saying go there so you can realize they're no different than you are. So true. And I think that like that's the work that that we have to do to continue to build those bridges is just to reach into you know outside of our comfort zones, outside of our communities and say, you you can do this too, or you can do this. You've Absolutely. got this. This is your area of genius. How do we I mean you you know, you're part of this program at twelve. I didn't I didn't get to do that at twelve. That's amazing. But that for you, that that unlocked that brilliance. That's that's incredible. I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Um, yeah, you raise a great point, Carrie. I, I think um, Citigroup just did a, a a study on this where they they um, looked at uh, a twenty year cycle since two thousand, and they they observed that, and they have the data to back this up that we've we've lost a trillion dollars of economic activity mm. that would have otherwise been in this economy if not for racial mm. um, um, disparities, systemic mm. racial disparities, right? 
you think about lending, you yes. think about, you know, the underbanked, all this, all the things, mm -hmm. right? And they, and they only looked at maybe 20% of the economy. Sure. So maybe there's like five, five trillion there, mm -hmm. right? But, but like, that's what this is, is fundamentally yeah. about. It's not about like fairness or equality for quality's sake, right? Um, mm -hmm. It is more about like making the whole product, right. the whole thing better. And we can do that by enabling more, you know, people to participate, you know, more fully in the economy. Sure. And we just haven't done a good job of that. Like you think about like this, this, this country's like tremendous success, mm -hmm. all the ingenuity that came out of like the, the Edison uh, of technology yep. and the Einstein era of technology. Like we've only been accessing and using what 40, I mean, we know what we weren't using women, <laughs> not, yeah. not, not like, you know, overtly right. and obviously in a way that gave them recognition for That's their right. incredible contribution. Mm -hmm. Like you think of all the women that contributed to the NASA, you know, That's NASA right. space program, et cetera. Um, we didn't give them, you know, you know, tacit acknowledgement. We should have. Right. right. And African-Americans like that were looked at as slaves, you know, even far beyond that's right. the end of slavery and the Jim Crow era, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so now we're we're getting to this place, hopefully, where <laughs> we've demonstrated sufficiently right. that anybody can run run this country, right? That's right. <laughs> for example, right. you know, we've yes. had great presidents. We've had you know a president over Not the last so four years, and we yeah. have right, right, exactly. So I think you know this this reckoning in some ways is about like demonstration that like and like you said, anybody can can participate. Anybody can can. Um, can, can build, you know, excellence and, and mm -hmm. have a good life based on, you know, just nothing more than their own ingenuity and effort. That's right. That's right. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of making it uh, available and accessible to everyone. Um, you know, where, where we are born, uh, you know, the circumstances of all that, we, we don't have any control over that. That just That's happens. Right. But that's right. The, the ability to um, do something once we are here should we should continue to work to try and provide that that opportunity to everyone as as equally as possible. And then, you know, you you if you're willing to sort of go for it, then you sh you should have the the same opportunity as everybody else, right? And that I think that is at least in, in our consciousness at a level that we haven't seen ever, which is a yeah. good place to start, right? That, that, that means, yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now we can, yeah, so well yeah, said. I agree with you. So, yeah, well said. At, you know, I'm a big believer, one of the things I say a lot and why we started this venture studio is this idea of more people should experience success, more of this confidence. You know, when you see a support system, maybe that gets you incrementally to the level of courage you need. I mean, it's all of this is about like, can we be the Building. stimulus? Right. And yeah. so one of the things I say is we want to do our best to keep founders in their area of genius because the, mm -hmm. they're going to be more likely to be successful if they can spend more of their time in the area that they are uniquely capable, gifted, their unique insight, as opposed to being distracted into all the other things they have to, to think about or do. So as you think about your, your company, you had done a number of things prior, but I guarantee you there were a lot of things that you had to go figure out. Sure. And there were some of those that maybe you shouldn't have had to go figure out. That, uh, you know, the next time, if you do an ex another one, that you'll probably solve that differently. Totally. So give yeah. me, a, you know, as you think about that, are there a couple examples yeah. of things you go, man, I had to go figure that out because often you're looking around the room and you go, 
well, there's nobody else here to do it. I guess I have to go do it. What I'm saying is, I don't think that's as efficient and effective as we need to be in helping create these companies and support founders in the way that we can, where, you know, I can look from, from where I am and say, no, you don't, you shouldn't do that. There's a faster, better, cheaper way to do that. Stay where stay in the ring where you are, where you're, where you're best. Right. So does that make sense? Yeah. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, I, I would, I would put it under themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, 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 the disparate areas under themes, like the first theme around product. I do product very differently. Mm -hmm. Like when I started in 2013, it was like, okay, this is what we think we should build based on very sparse data, mm -hmm. very sparse information and feedback from customers, like mm -hmm. no market signal. <laughs> and then we just, yeah. we, we, we kind of built it ourselves, uh, you know, uh, up a little bit internally. Mm -hmm. And we handed it off to a developer that just, you know, gave us back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, a web platform yeah. that was it's like, this, crap, is what, right? this is what you asked me to build. Here you go. Right. And I'm like, well, why am I, why can't I get customers? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? it doesn't work that way. You got to go right. get the customers first. And That's that right. means you got to sell vision, right? Mm -hmm. You got to sell vision. You got to sell breadcrumbs to the yeah. thing that right. makes them rely on you. Right. And so like, once we figured that out in 2014, 15, it became easier to have those mm -hmm. conversations. Um, I, I would, I would not build a real product in the first year or two of a startup. I might build like a bunch of like lightweight demos that, that some of more hefty than others that really demonstrated what we were trying to achieve and just show traction. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's synthetic traffic traction, like, hey, we, we're getting a bunch of people inquiring about this, you know, over time. And that number is massively week over week, right? The stronger story, then I got, I got a product that I built and it's amazing because I'm so smart. I'm an engineer, I'm a product manager and I just know how to build great products. Investors can't get behind that story, right? Yeah. So that's the first step. The second one I, theme I would say is culture. I mean, Jesus, like, I, I think we, when we really like, seriously focused on culture by uh, 2018, things changed like, mm. fundamentally for us, right? It became, you know, even though it was not easier to raise money, dealing with the, the challenges related to raising money were easier, right? The team was way more aligned. We had, we developed way more shared consciousness. What was in Luke's head was in everybody's head. Mm -hmm. Luke stopped being like the blocker to things. People stopped coming in saying, okay, well, we can't make a move or we can't do this really important thing unless we talk to Luke first. Sure. It's like, no, we're going to have these eight leadership principles, one of them being informed captains, which means that you got it. Like no decision can be made unless someone owns that decision and it can't mm -hmm. be Luke, right? And when we, we made that transition, it was like the whole team got more autonomy. Mm -hmm. They got more control. Mm -hmm. One of my interns, like you talk about interns, one of my interns, you know, came on unpaid, then paid, worked his behind off. Like he's like a well, in only two years, he is mm -hmm. a well-regarded um, business analyst within assurance. Now the company That's that acquired us, mm -hmm. like he's, his, his pay, his path is paved, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of our other employees, uh, she's she's a a single mom, black single mom from Baltimore. Um, didn't go to college, but like by by strict adherence and thinking and incorporating our leadership principles into our everyday life, into how we execute it every day. She a runs one of our biggest accounts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't have a college education, runs one of our biggest accounts, most profitable account, mm -hmm. and then secondly. Um, on the exit, made half a million bucks. I mean, it's life-changing money for, for yes. her, right? Life-changing money. And that's what this is all about, right? Absolutely. So, so I, I, all over again, product would be different. Culture would be different. Um, team alignment would mm -hmm. be different. I start, you know, sort of differently. 
I would, I, I would do everything. I wouldn't do anything that didn't matter. Like we spent so much time on branding and like, you know, early mark. I had a CMO mm-hmm. in year one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you marketing? That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, like marketing is nothing more than customer discovery in year one. That's right. right. That's right. And, uh, and I, I just like, I would do those things like fundamentally different. I know I could move a lot yeah. faster, um, you know, on the next thing um, when it comes around. Yeah, I don't want to pick on your CMO, but I want to go into that one for a second. So yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I have this concept. I'm shocked that it doesn't exist because uh, I actually did a Google search. I call it role stage fit. And that uh, it's key. I mean, to your point, like why do we don't need a CMO? We may never in the in the evolution of this business actually need a CMO because right. like there is a somewhat definitional title of a CMO in the world, which is a pretty broad span role where you're doing a lot of marketing things, right? I mean, you know, and depending on the industry, it changes. But as you look back, because I think this is super instructive for other entrepreneurs, what was it that led you to feel the need or actually act on that belief that you needed a, a CMO? <laughs> um, I think, uh, it doesn't take much, right? Like startups are delusional, right? Yes. We're, we're good at, you know, we have a lot of capacity. You to have delusion. to be to start. I mean, I would say you have to be delusional <laughs> to start it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, I think it's good and it's bad, right? Cause you need that to just get out of the, get out of the blocks, right. And get out of the gate. But at the same time, like you need a layer of like advisory um, support sometimes and, and just common sense uh, and, and just the ability to, to move yourself away from a position, right? One thing about the founders is like, we can be dog-minded about things, which makes us great because we're going to keep our customers. We're going to grow, 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 right? But at the same time, you got to be able to let go of some directions that are not working or, you know, mm-hmm. are not well optimized for where you want to go. And that just takes maturity, recognition. Like a lot of companies don't get that right the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was, you know, thinking about a CMO, I was just thinking about like what I wanted to represent to investors because I needed to raise money mm. and I thought if I had a, a strong team mm-hmm. right that would you know fill the place but like investors care about strong teams for sure but they care about strong teams in the context of what you're actually doing yeah, and sure. like and what you in the context of that question that you just asked me right because they're gonna ask me the same question and if the answer is like oh I hired this person because they're an amazing CMO and I don't have a need for a CMO. Right. They're not going to write a check, That's right. right? I mean, some, the, the, the crazy thing is some will. Some will. Yeah. The, the ones yeah. that you want involved so probably true. won't. But, but some will. Some will look at that. So I mean, true. there's a reason and, that deck the, slide exists with team and, and as opposed to saying, I'm actually really good at, at allocating capital to the highest and best use at each stage. And that's why this concept of role stage fit is I say- Role stage, I love like, it, like, I love it. You may need an intern concept. to do marketing at this stage. Totally. Right? Because this is what and marketing you do. is in our business at this stage. Um, and, and again, it depends on the lens people are looking through. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a, I mean, the one I've seen too, far too often is CFO. Yeah. And oh. you, know, you hire a CFO. I have one of those too. <laughs> really early. And you know, my, what I'll say to a founder when they bring it up is I'll say, look, is this a real CFO? Or are you just giving them a title? And they're like, no, this is a real CFO. And I said, okay, then you're in big trouble because they don't want to process payroll. They don't want to no. go do collections. They don't want to pay your invoices. Like that's all you that's really right. need right now. And 
they're going to find things to do. And then all of a sudden you're going to have five people on your finance and accounting team and you don't even have a product yet. Like it's so, yeah, it's, it's, that is a really, really, uh, it's fun. Like uh, to me, that's a fun discussion, but it can be really challenging. Right. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. I, I think it, what you're pointing to, all these things carry can just be put under one bucket, right? Uh, in terms of like maybe maybe number one or number two in terms of the number one top top reasons why startups fail. Yeah. Early scaling, early yeah. scaling. Like what you think is there is not there, right? right? And so like it requires data benchmarks, right? Like maybe I'm gonna hire, maybe I do need to hire a yeah. CFO, but like yeah. what are the benchmarks that are gonna tell me it's time to hire a CFO, CMO, etc. Like we had a CFO too. So when we out of the gates with no real product, we had a CM, CMO, CFO. We had a we hired a COO eventually and a chief mm -hmm. uh, revenue officer. Our, our CFO uh, sat around like knitting all day. <laughs> I, got, I mean, it had nothing. Listening to classical music and knitting all day, and like it would drive me crazy. Of course but, it like, would. What can, yeah. What can I? What can I say? Like I hired her, right? And so like I think these are the kinds of decisions that like hey, you, you succeeded, you're gonna man. Have to with. Yeah, yeah, you still yeah. you still succeeded, but those are those are great <laughs> stories. I I so appreciate yeah. you sharing those. So, a uh, couple couple final things. Uh, I mean, I I love I I would love for you to sh send me the those eight leadership principles because I I want to absolutely share those with my audience because I I mean just the way you um, the way you are the way you think I just find to be so compelling and you know I. I, 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 um, I feel so fortunate that we've met because I'm like, we're going to do something together. This guy and I are <laughs> we're two, two, two kindred spirits. Like. This. So, yeah. So I, I love it. And um, so I want to share that. Um, but, you know, as you think about this, this entrepreneur who we, like they're, they're trying to figure it out. You talked about that courage and resilience as, as critical skills, but you know, this year, to me is the year of the uh, emergent entrepreneur. I'm not saying they had to have no. started it right now, but I, I think you've got this huge, you know, this confluence of crazy things that have all come together this year to, to create a new consciousness for people to really tap into and say, what is my real purpose in this world? Um, what, what should I be doing? Sort of shock us out of the inertia that often affects our lives. So as you think about, you know, this is, to me, this is the year of the entrepreneur. What advice would you have for people that are at least that fire starting to burn a little bit and, and they're going, you know, maybe, maybe over the next 12 months, I need to start my plan for how I go, uh, go figure this out for, for me and what I should do. What, what advice would you have for them? Like, how, do, how did they become an operator? Yeah, I, I would say um, see past your success or failure, right? Like before anything else, you pass success or failure. Because when you got an at that stage, right? Because yes. if, if you got an idea, you know, something that you're working full time, right? Somewhere and you just like, you want to tinker with something that you think could be a thing, right? You're going to get all kinds of feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Like some of the feedback is going to be, most of it is going to be, you know, at best cryptic. Right? Yes. People are saying, oh, yeah, I don't really understand it, but like, it sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a, a great idea. I would totally buy that, right? And like, you don't really believe them. Yes. But you can delude yourself into thinking that right. what they're telling you is like, this is a great idea uh, and they would do that. Um, you got to move past that. You got to move past, whatever, even if it's all positive, you got to move past that to say, well, 
get, let me get asked five why questions, all right? So mm -hmm. what I did in the very earliest stages is ask the why question, like why? Well, why do you think it's a great idea? Well, why? Well, why, well, well, why would you pay for it? Well, why mm -hmm. would you um, share that with someone else? Well, why would you then use it again? Well, why would you come back? Like, these are questions that, yes. that direct your entire funnel, right? right? How customers are gonna move through the funnel. So I would just you know, encourage entrepreneurs not to quit, right? Mm -hmm. Move past whatever you know, first layer of feedback they get from users, mm -hmm. friends, whoever it is, to the deeper questions so that they can mm -hmm. truly solve hard problems. That's what this is about. Mm -hmm. We yeah. need you, you know, just like we need OC4 like, to, to be out there solving hard problems, right? Because we got so many of them in the world. And you're right, this is the year of the entrepreneur there are lots of entrepreneurs that look like me that have not been in mass use mm -hmm. <laughs> for a long That's time. Right. And That's like, right. wait till that amount of vibranium is like unleashed on the universe. It's, like it's so much so that we can do. Yeah, it's so exciting. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining me on the show, um, for being just a, a, a giver of, of light and energy and, and encouragement. It's awesome. And uh, I, I'm so appreciative of our... Uh, emerging friendship. So thanks again. And, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of operate podcast. If you like this conversation as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us or subscribe or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at operate podcast until next week, get out there and operate.